Hi, I'm Dan. Hi, I'm Jenny. And this is Rookie Movie Reviews. Meow, I'm Cabbage. Meow, I'm Pugsley. Wow, we have some special guest stars who I hope will <laughs> be present throughout the entire recording of this episode and have a lot to say. <laughs> uh, I messed up because Cabbage often gets a Cockney accent from us. Yeah, he's a rambunctious British street urchin. Oi, I'm fucking cabbage. Exactly, something like that. You best stay off me, property. I'll piss on you. (laughs) I don't think a Cockney street urchin would have property. If we're talking Oliver Twist style, those kids are destitute. That's true. Cabbage owns nothing, for he is a cat. He is owned. Anyhow, <laughs> we watched another fantastic, fun movie uh-huh. for our review podcast. And on Valentine's Day. Yeah, it was, romance was in the air. Mm-hmm. We released our old boy episode and then turned around and watched Grave of the Fireflies, <laughs> uh, a Studio Ghibli movie, one of the two on this list. Because it's this and then Princess Mononoke. Spirited Away is on this oh, list as well. One of three. You were, yeah, you were going to say three. Yeah, but you I, were right. I second guess myself. Studio Ghibli produced, not Miyazaki direct. Don't know the name of the director is all I was going to say. Oh, it's directed by Iseo Takahata. Isei, yeah, I-S-A-O. Okay. Takahata, I have a pretty good... I've seen enough anime. Yeah, Takahata. That's that guy's name. Very well directed. Uh, this, I guess, should get out of the way. One of the saddest movies ever. Oh yeah, I think I cried like five times. Yes, and this is the second time I've seen it. I think it's my second or my third. Yeah, And when you know the plot, I mean, the first five minutes had us tearing up mm-hmm. and bawling. It is, it's a really sad movie. It deals a lot with death. It's about the Japanese people in World War II. Uh, at the end of World War Two, and just just a heads up before we get into the plot. Not a fun time. So, no. if you don't want to listen to a dour summary, turn back now, or put this on mute and let it play through. Yeah, we want those views, <laughs> those downloads. So, uh, movie opens up with a fire bombing. Yes. So there, there's an air raid in Kobe. Japan and uh, Setsuko, their mom, and um, Seita. Sorry, she calls him Nichan throughout the whole movie. So, I mean, you read it because we don't speak Japanese. Yeah, the subtitles are saying their (laughs) names and everything. So, our main people are Seita, a young boy, Mm -hmm. and his young sister, Setsuko. And they're preparing for an air raid. They're all going to the shelter. And it turns out it's a firebombing. And a firebombing conducted by the U.S. military throughout World War II is some messed up stuff. Mm -hmm. It's it's wild they were allowed to do that. Yeah, firebombings are ridiculous if you're familiar with the story of Kurt Vonnegut, Mm -hmm. uh, POW... During the firebombing of Dresden. And he was in the city. Witnessed it. A horrific death toll. 
uh, impacted uh, an entire line of work and everything. So, and everyone thinks, oh, Nagasaki and Hiroshima with atomic bombs, but just ongoing firebombings, horrifically deadly. Also bad. Yeah. Both are bad. I, I would argue the implications of nuclear warfare is a bit more evil mm-hmm. than firebombing. Um, possibly because more firebombing victims get to live. Yeah. Hopefully. But, yeah. I mean, if you're if you're grading suffering like it's a baseball card game, your humanity's already kind of out there. And if you're in yeah. the war room about trading lives like uh, Dr. Strangelove. Yeah. Great movie. Oh, yeah. Really good satire about how messed up it is to compare death stats like baseball stats. Mm-hmm. Just... But firebombing, definitely is what happens in this movie. I'm if they had nuclear bombed Kobe, these two kids wouldn't have lived to tell the story. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And according to um the author of the short story that this is based off of, um his name is Akiyuki Nosaka. Uh, in interviews, he had said that if he had died, it would have been a better story. Mm-hmm. A happier ending. Yeah, which kind of... Sets the tone the, for... The, the man who lived through this says it would have been happier for him had he died. That is that is the type of movie we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> early on, the air raid comes in. The mother, who is ill and needs medication, takes off early to get to a shelter. We see immediately that Seta is a very caring brother. He's left in charge of his younger sister, Setsuko, and running around getting prepared to go to the air raid shelter. We see Setsuko drops her stuffed doll and is very panicked, and Seta takes the time to turn around, grab the doll, make sure that she's all set with shoes and everything, and then he runs out into the street where we basically witness the the extent of the firebombing. We get to watch them escape the flames and get to the shelter, and once they get to the shelter... We're skipping the intro, the sadder intro in the bus station. Oh, right. Yeah. I did that. That's my fault. You want to cover that? So this is a spoiler. (laughs) Uh, We already spoiled it. But shortly after the end of World War II, there's a teenage boy dying of starvation in a train station. And a janitor comes across him once he's passed. And he finds a can of... a tin of candy in Seita's possession and he ends up throwing it into a field and the contents of the can small bones fall out and we see a spirit of Seita's younger sister Setsuko coming from the grass and Seita joins her looking much healthier and a cloud of fireflies comes up from the ground and they board a train. And that's when I first cried. Yeah, and that is the first five minutes. It's kind of uh, starting in media res with us watching this boy we don't know die in a train station. And then we get into the firebombing. It's like, you know, many months prior, air raid. After the air raid drops all of its firebombs, there is chaos. And we see just a view of the standard Japanese population kind of waiting around the shelter, waiting for direction, looking for first aid and 
food and things like that, they get directed to a hospital or they're at a school which is set it's up a as a like a triage unit. Mm-hmm. Um, and Seta learns from a family friend that his mother was injured and he goes into the school to see his mother and she is in a full body bandage, horrifically burned, um, clearly dying and on her deathbed. And Seta keeps this information from his sister, Setsuko. And I think to establish more context, Seta is a young teenager and Setsuko 14. is a toddler. So that that's that's what we're, we're dealing with here. Kids. Yeah. It's not uh, two older teenagers. It's, it's children. Yeah. Um, his mom is... Su- so that when he first learns the information... His mom is supposed to go to a hospital, and his aunt lives in the same city as the hospital. But by the next morning, the mom has passed away. Uh, Seta moves on to the next city, because uh, Setsuko's already there. Mm. And they're going to live with their aunt now, and he doesn't tell the aunt right away that her sister's dead, because he doesn't want Setsuko to know. Oh. I just remembered a really effective scene that I wanted to go back to, but outside of the school, mm-hmm. there's a scene where the two kids are sitting together, and Setsuko is kind of squatting and just starts crying uh, because she's scared, doesn't have her mom, and Seta says, oh, watch this, I'm really good at this, and jumps up on some monkey bars and starts spinning around the monkey bars while Setsuko squats and cries behind him, and the scene just goes on for like... 30 seconds of the girl sobbing and him not knowing what to do because he's a kid too and it's a really emotional scene and at this point we know that their mother is dead but Setsuko doesn't know it and it just it it's one of those scenes that establishes so well how we're dealing with kids and they don't know what's going on and war is horrible and it is it is sad but that's prior to them arriving at their, their aunt's house so I just wanted to backtrack yeah and the aunt sucks she's an evil bitch and she already has a daughter there and some lodger and it's obvious that she views her nephew and niece as a burden but Seta does go back and retrieve some supplies that he had gotten and one of them's a big jar of umeboshi which is impossible to find during the war so the aunt at first is kind of happy that he brought food, but she sees him as something that should be providing her value mm. instead of a relative. And I think they did a really good job of portraying her as greedy because they keep showing her, like, eating. Like, scraping the bottom of a pan to get at the rice skin. And after making onigiri, licking off the rice from her hands, just making mm. sure she gets every grain. Yeah, and I felt the same. She's greedy, but also it was super effective at kind of showing how dire things are because the kids are like, oh, I'm hungry every now and then. And I feel like we're luckily so removed from that that for me personally, it, if a character is super hungry in a movie, like, for example, um, Jungle with Daniel Radcliffe, they just it make him super gaunt and he hallucinates because he's so hungry. I'm like, oh, yeah, uh, really hungry. I get it. You're telling me he's hungry. But with this one, just having super subtle stuff like scraping burnt rice just to get after that is 
is really effective uh, scenery and scene setting to show, like, things are bad. And, okay, yeah. yeah. But also, this aunt is a horrible character. And, uh, like, a good character, but she sucks. I feel like she has almost a sudden turn because she, she's mean and nasty and then she just turns into, like, truly... Like, one scene she says, oh, you know, we should start working. And then the next scene she says, you lazy, vile slugs, you you don't get rice. Even though it's the rice that they provided. Yeah, by selling money. their mother's yeah, silk so. kimono. That scene was awful, too, because it was a flashback to happier times. Oh. That always messes me up. Mm -hmm. Because it's a family photo shoot in the springtime. Oh God, I can't talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a family photo shoot of uh, Seta, Setsuko, and their parents. And it's uh, a beach vacation. And then we cut from this warm memory of them all smiling for a picture to uh, Setsuko crying because the kimonos are being yanked away from her. And it's truly the last physical remnant of their mother at this point. Except for the broken ring. Yeah, yeah. There's there's one ring which she is seen clinging to afterwards, Setsuko. So, you know, she's having all of her safety anchors ripped away from her. Seta is also equally vulnerable, but he has to be the caretaker, so... Yeah, it. this movie does such a good job of portraying human suffering. And I wonder... You, we talked about this a little bit... Um, Seta decides to leave the ant after he gets enough abuse and they realize they're not really getting rice and she wants them to work, but the steel mills burn down and the schools are all closed, so mm -hmm. there's nowhere for them to go except for her house. And she's like, shouldn't you? Can't you go? Uh, you're lazy, pathetic, and worthless. <laughs> yeah. So they decide to take residence in an abandoned bomb shelter. And we talked about him leaving... Uh, and we, as an American audience, kind of see it as prideful. We see him struggle, and we think, oh, he should go back to the ant. But a Japanese audience viewing the same movie has a better understanding of why he's not going back to the ant. I wonder if there's the same um, cultural divide by us saying, like, oh, that ant sucked, versus any other culture being like, no, it makes sense. Or... Literally anyone who's gone through war yeah. and famine. Because we have not. Yeah, And just to stress, th these aren't things that we're supposing. These are uh, studies done on the movie and published to Wikipedia. So it's not just like... Oh yeah, I'm not bet, making yeah, stuff no. up about Japanese culture. No, for sure. But yeah, I, I didn't even think about that because of the divide between should he go back to the ant or should he not. It's like, yeah, he should. Ant's a horrible bitch. But maybe there's shelter and food there, you know? He even gets advice. Uh, you can't live outside of the system. Everything's rationed. Yeah. And I'm kind of realizing now how contradictory my view on it is. Because it's like, oh, that aunt sucks. And she's mean and has no empathy. And then you should go back to that aunt because things are bad, dude. It's like I want my, my cake and I want to eat it too. Because... You know, I want the ant to be nice and provide. I just want the movie to be happy. It's not. It's no. it's war. It's horrible. War is hell. Mm -hmm. They move out to the bomb shelter. Yes, which 
I think it's because he's in such denial over his dad being dead, but we find out that the mom has 7,000 yen in the bank, mm -hmm. which I don't know conversion rates between that and um, 1947 to now. Isn't that enough to get an apartment? But who yeah. would rent to a 14-year-old? Yeah, and also I was trying to justify a few points in my head because just to give context to this conversation... Near the end of the movie, he goes to the bank and withdraws his last 3,000 yen. And at first, I'm like, why didn't you do that when things were getting bad? But I realized that since it was the height of World War II and Japan was truly on the back foot, even with all that money, probably couldn't get anything anyway. They make points throughout, like, a farmer says, I'm a farmer and I don't even have enough rice for myself because the army's taking it all. Yeah. So... Just to say, like, why didn't he buy this, or why didn't he go here? I think it could be explained for a number of reasons, but mostly because there was nothing available to anybody, let alone a teenager with some extra money on hand. Okay, I think I also have a wild misunderstanding of how much 7,000 yen is. Oh, yeah. So just doing some googly math, it's probably only worth about 300 bucks. Which makes it even more, there's a line on the train when they're going to their aunt's house, how Seta says to Setsuko, mom had $7,000 in the bank, we can live off of that. And in my head, I'm like, oh, nice, 7000 cool, you can live that's, off that. That's $7,000. Yeah, and to in a 1945, kid. that, oof. <laughs> yeah. It's that's probably, a lot of money. Yeah, but it's not. it's not even enough to live for a few months, let alone the rest of your lives, like he seems to think. Well, when you're 14, 300 bucks, like if you got 300 bucks money, you'd be like, Ooh, chef's yeah. kiss. Phenomenal. I'm going to go buy some frozen pizzas, shit like that. But I mean, I don't know how they do it now, but tombstones, it'll be five for five sometimes. Uh -huh. It's how do they make food that cheap? <coughs> Excuse me. Blowing up my spot. <laughs> ah. Okay. I'm under control. <laughs> I'm sorry for blowing this spot. That's really good. Um, if they ever rationed food, like, I think you can see conversations online about just how extravagant U.S. grocery stores are. Huh. But when there were shortages due to the pandemic beginning and panic buying, like, people didn't know heads from sales. Like, all the beef is gone? What am I supposed to eat? Dirt? <laughs> yeah. Right. I'd hope that... In the case of a, a national emergency, next time we'll have a competent leader and there will be mm -hmm. plans rather than uh, silence. We, we never, we've gained weight during the pandemic. I oh, think yeah. that's an almost universal experience. So we have no clue. We have no clue what real suffering is like. No, no. Uh, and this movie does try to show us. Yes, it does a very good job. And it's only supposed to be a few months. Yeah. And shit goes so south so quickly. Just a rapid decline. I do... Oh, what? I don't want to Google how long does it take a three-year-old to die of malnutrition, because I don't want to end up on any lists for that. Probably a couple months. So, oh god, yeah. Very sad. I do like, in, in the terms of I think it's very effective, when they first move to this bomb shelter, they have a night where they play and they make a really nice meal 
with some food that they picked up along the way, and they capture a bunch of fireflies and put it up in their house, and they're both, like, the happiest they've been in the whole movie. And I think it's really effective to show, like, A, how... Uh, Actually, you made a really good point when we were talking about this before. Seto is a fantastic brother, bad caretaker. And these scenes are really effective in showing that. Like, they, they're playing. He loves his sister. He makes, like, a wonderful environment for her for one night, at least, uh, in the midst of a war. And it's just so sweet to see them interact and be happy. And then we quickly see it turn south because the next morning, all of the fireflies that they gathered had died... And Setsuko doesn't understand why. And then she has to find out why, you know, why did fireflies die? Why did our mom die? Because the aunt told her that their mom died. Which, evil aunt move. Evil aunt move, but also, like, wartime realism, you know? Like, yeah. gotta pull this band-aid off. And they... Uh, Seta kind of covers it up with another lie of how we will go visit her grave under a camphor tree... Uh, in a very peaceful, like, she's buried in this beautiful uh, field, and we'll go visit yeah. her when the war is over. But he actually has her ashes in a box. And he doesn't even know if they were her ashes, because it was a mass mass burning. Yeah, it's just, hopefully these are some of your mom's ashes. Yeah. There's a particularly effective cut here that uh, really just kind of kicked me in the stomach, where we see Setsuko dumping the dead fireflies into a grave she had dug. And as they fall out of the container, it cuts to a brief flash of their mother's bandaged body being dumped into a mass grave. Mm -hmm. And then before you know what you just saw, it cuts back to Setsuko. And it's like, oh my god, just th these close parallels of you know death and everything. And it's such a striking image, so... This pregnant pause is because our old man of a cat is trying to figure out how to get on the bed because we stole the chair he normally uses as leverage. Maybe if Dan grabs the ottoman and puts it at the foot of the bed, Pugsley will have the confidence necessary. He just came over there and fell over on the floor. Oh my god, are you going to go fluff him up? Uh, I think I will. Okay, we're going to do a brief, brief uh, fluffing pause here. Okay, so that was some much needed levity from the dying fireflies and mother um thank goodness for that yeah thanks pugs um, very time guys <laughs> <laughs> anyhow <laughs> uh rice has been rationed and they're running out of food because they're trying to exist outside of the system and they're not getting coupons for i don't know what they were allotted back then but they're not getting I don't know how rations work. I'm trying to think of like the way British rations worked, and as people standing in line, I have a ticket to get bread, cheese, and uh, hard sausage, so yeah. stuff like that. So he can only buy rice, but he can't buy rice because it's so rationed. So, however it worked back then, it's not working out for him, and so he decides to start stealing vegetables because. They, they fall into a tomato cage during an air raid. And then he sees the tomatoes and he starts eating them. And he's like, great. I will turn to a life of crime. Instead of going back to my shitty aunt. And he gets caught stealing sugar cane one night because his sister has had 
a lot of issues. She has diarrhea, and he wants to get her some sugar. And also she has these horrible, like, rashes on her yeah. body that it actually starts out pretty subtle, and they get more and more horrible. Like, you can see them early on. Yeah. Uh, and they don't mention them. And then eventually you get to a scene where it's full body horrible, uh, which leads them to stealing sugar. So. And he gets beat by the farmer as he's brought into the police station. Bastard farmer. Bad farmer, man. But thankfully the police officer said, I think you've hit him enough. In fact, I want to call this assault. And the farmer runs off and he offers the boy a cup of water. And if this was a Disney movie... This would be when the old policeman adopts two ragamuffin kids. But it's not a fairy tale, it's reality. And he goes back to the bomb shelter to give her some food, and she's not doing great at all. She's just... She's sick. It's bad. And he takes her to the doctor the next day, and the doctor explains, She has malnutrition. Uh, I can't give you medicine. She just needs food. Which causes... Uh, Say to her to break down, where am I supposed to get food? Mm -hmm. Because rations. Awful. And the next woman who comes in looks, like, healthy. Yeah. So, this kid is... This kid is 14 and has way too much responsibility. Yeah. And just to go back to the sugar farmer, I initially had the thought, like, oh, he's trying to take the sugar back from Seta. I get it. But also, he chases him all the way to the cave, and Setsuko comes out clearly sickly and dying, and he still says, deal with it. Uh, you're going to the police. I don't care about this kid at all. Well, I'm trying to think in L.A. what they do, but they'll label prostitutes and homeless as like, not a person. Yeah. So it's just the way people who are impoverished get written off. By anyone who's well-to-do. Yeah, that's fair. Humanity sucks. Everyone's evil. We all have implicit biases. And explicit biases. In the case of this sugar farmer. Mm-hmm. So now, at this point, Seta decides to withdraw the last of the money in his bank account. And he finds out now that Japan has lost the war. So his dad's probably dead. The the nation that he was so proud of is a failure. So he's just having a complete crisis. But he brings back food to Setsuko. But it's too late. She's hallucinating from malnutrition. And he gets her some melon. And while he's preparing some food, she passes away. Mm-hmm. She passes away, and then we see uh, Seta go back into town to gather equipment for a funeral pyre. And he spends some money that he has on equipment for that, like a wicker basket and a bunch of stuff. And it's, again, a really strong moment of juxtaposition, similar to the beach trip, cutting to the, uh, the loneliness between the kids. This one has the merchant who is selling these funeral equipment pieces saying like oh really really terrible like we lost the war i'm sorry about your loss gorgeous day though because it is a it's a beautiful day the the movie as with any ghibli movie is 
immaculately animated and they can make a day look gorgeous if they want and as Seto's going around getting his funeral supplies bright blue skies puffy white clouds you know sunbeams everywhere and it's yeah. just like god there's uh, no fairness in the world at all he lights the funeral pyre um, for Setsuko gathers some ashes and he narrates that he never returns to the bomb shelter and we then see him uh, go to the train station basically you know bringing us back to where we started the movie he reconvenes with the spirit of Setsuko as he did in the beginning of the movie and they reach the end of the train line they reach their destination and then they end the movie sitting on a hill overlooking modern day uh, Kobe. So, uh, just uh, two spirits reunited, healthy and happy, um, sitting on a hill overlooking the city. So it is, oh man, it is brutal. It's uh, about a child slowly dying from malnutrition through the end of World War II. It is not a fun romp. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, tearing up. Just yeah. thinking about the ending. It's a fantastic movie, though. Yeah. It's one of those movies that... Uh, the best movie I never want to watch again. You yeah. Know? I was... It was foolish to watch this on Valentine's Day. Yeah. Thankfully, I got an hour-long phone call from my parents to kind of break up the tension. Yeah. And we... Uh, recruit our losses with a paint night, which we both did very bad at. And barbecue. Yes. So it wasn't just miserable. No, we did not have the worst Valentine's Day. Yeah, it it was a good Valentine's Day with a very sad movie involved. Yes. Should have saved Amelie for this. Yeah, that was like a romantic Valentine's Day. Um, This movie's still oh so good. Why do you think? This movie is animated. Why did they think we need animation for this? I think if it was a live action, um, it would have been harder to portray the starving, but that's its own. And the horrific firebombing. That's true. In 1988, it would be expensive to... Maybe the animation was expensive, too. This movie made, like, $2 billion. Yeah. Because normally when you watch... The easiest argument for, like, why is this animated is because, like, you think it's spirited away. Of course it's got to be animated. Yeah. It's this fantasy journey. This is just, I mean, as I can't think of a scene that couldn't be done with film editing, but also... Yeah. Since it is animated, it's impossible to imagine it being as good live action. So, I don't know, just... The... the Ghibli movies are really good, and they look fantastic, and this is something that's grounded in realism, but couldn't be anything other than a, an animated cartoon. I don't know why. Yeah, I don't... Um... Hmm. <laughs> hmm. There's no reason for it to be animated. I like that it is. Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy it is. I'm also happy that it is short. It, it's an hour and a half long... It feels much longer because it's so oppressive, but it, it also d- 
does what it needs to very efficiently. It, it gives you the who the characters are really effectively, really quickly, and the tragic scenes are not less tragic because they are shorter. In fact, I think they're more effectively emotional because they pick exactly how to show how dire the straits are uh, in that brief runtime. Yes. And they're just hyper-effective uh, scenes of emotion. You looked like you were going to say something. Yeah, so it's actually in the Wikipedia article. Thank you, Wikipedia. Uh, the author, Nosaka, had said that many offers had been made to make a live-action version of the film, Care for the Fireflies, but he argued it would be impossible to create the barren, scorched earth that's to be the backdrop of the story. And he also mm. argued contemporary children would not be able to convincingly play the characters. Oh, that's mm-hmm. a great point. Child actors are the Achilles heel of a lot of movies. So. I hate child actors. It's bad. Yeah. I like uh, Little Miss Sunshine a whole bunch. Oh, yeah. Uh, if you want a <laughs> happy movie right there. Wow. With, with bittersweetness, you know. In Melancholy. It, yeah, just that is a... Fantastic movie. Melancholy. I do know how to pronounce it. That's just a joke. <laughs> and that's uh, Abigail Breslin kills it in that movie. Yeah, she she's a great actress. And um, when I think of a movie where I don't like the actors, I think of Moonrise Kingdom. But that movie oh. is supposed to be awkward and stifled because that is the style of Wes Anderson. But um, not yeah. my cup of tea. And I think I'm entitled to my opinion. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess I don't have a super strong opinion about Moonrise Kingdom. I do, I do like his awkward style in other movies like uh, Life Aquatic, when it's yeah. not child actors. Well, so. there's nope. I just confused Bill Murray in uh, Moonrise Kingdom again. <laughs> yeah, He's I like Life Aquatic a lot. He's got a stable of actors. I so I can't. Words are hard. <laughs> it, for example. That's Those fine. kids are good. Yeah. I like Stranger Things. Yeah. I would say I would say I don't like bad actors who are adults either. Yeah, no. I I agree. Just children haven't had the time necessary to hone their skill. Mm-hmm. Unless they're extremely talented. Which those movies are out there. Yep. As you've said. And I might also base a lot of my childhood actor feelings on all the horror movies I've seen with terrible kid actors. Yeah. Like the Babadook. Like, that kid's not a bad actor, but he's a shitty kid. Yeah, it's he's like Joffrey, where it's like, you really great on my nerves, but you're supposed to. Yeah. And uh, it ultimately leaves a negative feeling, even though it's supposed to. It's like, oh, fuck you. <laughs> Well, now we have to rate this as a not-safe-for-work podcast, so the F-word. Oh, yeah. Um, those are good points about why he was looking for animated. I'd never even considered that you can basically draw a great child performance if you want, you know? Yeah. And the vocal work, I, I know that for voiceover and animation, you, I don't know, for example, the, the voice of Bart it's like, oh, that's a snotty kid. Yeah. But no, it's a fully grown woman Tara adult. Tara Reid, I think. Yeah, Not Tara Reid. That's a different actress. Who can just do, you know, a kid's voice and put the inflection needed. Why do you think this is a top 100 movie? Um, it's a love letter to tragedy. Yeah. And I 
think it portrays it so efficiently that even the Tin Man would cry. He doesn't even have a heart. He doesn't even have a heart. That's an emotional movie. Yeah. Love Letter to Tragedy, good way of putting it. Uh, basically just hyper-effective uh, empathy yeah. session. A little empathy know. machine. Mm-hmm. Makes you want to donate to the Salvation Army. Yeah. There's there's a lot of... No, no. It's, it's common to say, like, books and movies can put you in the shoes and make you experience things you would never experience. And, I don't know, most of the books I read are high fantasy sci-fi stuff and uh, a lot of the movies I watch are you know action or something like that which aren't really investigations into the human nature (laughs) but this one is like hey man uh, being a child in a war-torn Japan is horrible experience it and learn to learn to love your fellow man through that experience and all that and this is very good at that I do have one thing I want to throw out there from the Wikipedia page. Yep, give it uh, up. Give it up. Give it up. I'll give, give, give it up. Give me the fact. You want this fact? Give me that fact. The director says it's not an anti-war movie. I think people are allowed to take whatever interpretation <laughs> they want from a creative piece, especially when it depicts tragedy so well. Uh-huh. Um, I agree. It's obviously an anti-war movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> but... He went on to say that his intention, his personal intention, was to show the failure of um, like what can happen to a life when it cuts itself off from society. What? Yeah, and like the importance of society. But at the same time, the director is a vocal anti-war, and he also laments the Japanese culture's tendency to... Um, encourage conformity okay so he made this movie as like the importance of unity in trying times but also encourages like individualism and i guess it's fine to say there should be a cohesive supportive society that allows you to be an individual you know if there's room for that but this movie is not that <laughs> according to him this movie is if if shit's bad you need people <laughs> To, to help. I can get behind that. Yeah. I, I can too, I suppose. But just some weird conflicting messages from the director. Yeah. I don't think you can slowly show a child die in a war-torn country and not go for the anti-war angle or disagree that it's anti-war. I'm, yeah. I mean, even just... Pictures of bombed cities is an anti-war message to me. Yeah. I don't... It's like, this is I don't bad. think you can showcase what war is like and call it a pro-war movie. No. no. I, this is controversial. But I think war is bad. <laughs> yeah, I think pro-war movies are going to be pretty stomach-churning. I think, yeah, pro-war movies are more like pro-soldier yeah, like American Sniper. Yeah. And I guess pro-glory, but those are... You can you can be a football player and get those feelings. Like, remember the Titans. Yeah. I think, <laughs> man, a movie like uh, 1917, 
That's, that's not pro-war. No, but it is pro-soldier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it goes through a lot of effort to say, look at how heroic this person is. This person is a hero. He is a soldier. But not be pro-war because you see some pretty horrific stuff go down in that movie. I'm trying to think of any. Like, even Saving Private Ryan. That's super about heroes, but shit's... Yeah. Shit's messed up. The end of that movie is basically like, oh my god, my entire life is defined by tragedy. <laughs> you know? Um, but actually, now that I think about it, because we do eventually have to review Saving Private Ryan. Do we? Yeah, it's on Oh, the I list. like that movie. Me too. But, spoiler alert for the ending of that one, uh, we see Matt Damon as an old man at the, I think it's Arlington Cemetery, reflecting on his experience with Tom Hanks in the war. And then the movie ends with, like, American flags waving over a fading-out face. I'm looking up pro-war movies, and Full Metal Jacket is on here. Okay, yeah, let's look at the... I'm going to steal your phone. Think... Top five <laughs> pro-war movies. Apocalypse Now. No. Which is about a soldier going crazy because of a war and then, like, being a fucking murderer. Uh, Full Metal Jacket, which we've talked about. Platoon, which I'm not familiar with, but um, I'm pretty confident it's not for war. Deer Hunter, which is specifically about how nightmarish the Vietnam War was. And then Paths of Glory. Let's talk about Paths of Glory. Okay, I I don't know how much I recall that movie, just because black and white stuff, for some reason, doesn't stick with me. That, That one was about a suicidal charge on the anthill, and it failed, and then they blamed three soldiers for it failing because they were cowardly, and those three soldiers were executed. Yeah, not (laughs) pro-war. I'm I'm having a crisis moment, because... In the U.S., you often get raised to, like, really respect veterans. And, you know, respect veterans, but the war machine chews them up, spits them out, leaves them homeless and without health care. Yeah. I haven't seen American Sniper, so I can't speak to it personally, but I know that it is a pretty pretty common sentiment around that movie to view it as glorifying a dude because he was super good at killing and it doesn't really decry... The Iraq War or anything like that. It's just kind of like, look at how good this sniper was at war. Yeah, I mean, I think Top Gun might be a pro-war movie, but uh, that's just a romp. Yeah, those are just bros having fun kicking ass in their fighter jets, you know? What, um, what, well, it's not fair because the enemy is an alien, but Dune, or Doom... Oh yeah, <laughs> that that's pro war. That movie got its rocks off on the, uh, on the Alien Three. What's the one where she's in the machine? Alien Two. Alien Two. Uh, aliens. Ah. <laughs> <Before we get laughs> blasted for calling it Alien Two. Um, Some people might actually know the name of the machine. Sigourney Weaver gets to drive in that. I do know it's a freight loader. Ah. But it's just like. You would never make a walking mech for any purpose. What? It's just so much That's not true, because in Japan, they actually have exoskeletons for people who are old and with bad backs, so they have more support, so they can work longer. 
Oh, oh, good. <laughs> Get a few more years off. <laughs> I'm going to need one of those. I'm excited yeah. to get mine. My 30th birthday. Uh-huh. <laughs> it just sits so much. I'm sitting stupid right now. I'm sitting stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't have any anything to tack yeah. on. We dragged this out. We're not even talking about the movie. I thought that was a, that was a fun thing to ramble no, about. No, I liked that. it. Uh... Shall we rate on three? Yeah, well, okay. Thinking about the movie and its essence and not just the emotional reaction I'd have to it, which is how I've rated Vertigo, etc. in the past. Okay. One. Yeah, change our rating style. Part like this far in. Yes. Yeah, stick with what you feel, baby. I'm feeling it. <laughs> All right. One, Uno, dos, two, trace, nine. nine. Oh, okay. Cool. Great minds. I think, um, in terms of feeling, uh-huh. <laughs> the thing holding me back from 10 is my feeling about characters' choices. You know, like, okay. why would you not go back, or why would you um, do this or that, you know? Uh, this is a movie that deserves its spot in the top 100. Yes. 9 out of 10. Why... Why, um, does animation get so much flack, I think? Yeah, just stigma. People don't understand it, you know. It's called hentai, and it's art. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, that's a review of Grave of the Fireflies. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Oh, God.